Welcome to Mississippi Speaks. I'm your host, Tevin Brown. And today we're going to have a conversation about the legislative session that just wrapped up uh, a week ago. And uh, today we have three wonderful panelists uh, that I'll read and uh, introduce for us today. Uh, first, we have uh, Representative Otis Anthony. Otis is a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity and Cutting Edge Gentlemen's Club. In the House, Representative Anthony serves as Vice Chair of the Youth and Family Affairs Committee. He also serves on the Agriculture, Banking and Financial Services, Corrections, Transportation, and Workforce Development Committees. He was born on July 12, 1979 in Indianola, Mississippi, and is married to former Portia Caldwell. Thank you for joining us, Representative Anthony. Thank you for having me this morning. Next, we have Kyra Roby. Uh, Kyra is policy analyst at One Voice. Uh, Kyra is a native of Madison, Mississippi. She received her Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Mississippi Cross Institute for International Studies, and she holds a law degree from the University of Mississippi School of Law. She is a member of Word of Life Church in Flowood, Mississippi, and she is a devoted mother to her son, Jackson Roby. Thanks for joining us, Kyra. Thank you for having me. Next, we have Representative Zakia Summers. Uh, Representative Summers is affili affiliated with Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, Mississippi Sickle Cell Foundation, where she serves as vice chair, Jane Avenue Association Assistant uh, Secretary, NAACP, ACLU, Women for Progress, Federation of uh, Dem Women, uh, STAND, UMC Community Advisory Board, Jackson Association of Black Journalists, and W.K. Kellogg Foundation Community Leadership Network Fellow. Representative Summer was born on January 14th in Houston, Texas, and she is married to Andre Harley. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, I know we're all busy, especially our representatives and Kyra, because if they're busy, Kyra is busy as well. Uh, and then giving us some time on what would uh, could be a day off, but as Representative Summers uh, told me, uh, there are no days off when you are a public servant. So thank you all for being here. And so, like I mentioned, uh, this is just a conversation to uh, get an overview of what happened in the session. Uh, I know of many of our listeners, uh, they've probably read headlines, uh, they've probably watched things on the news, uh, they may have even attended a vote in person. And so what we wanted to do is just get a perspective from our public servants and also uh, advocate and policy analysts from Kyra's perspective on what happened, uh, the impact that it'll have on the state of Mississippi. And also just think about, you know, what we can do uh, as a citizens of Mississippi uh, to continue the work of uh, helping improve uh, Mississippi. So without uh, any more discussion, let's dive into it. And so uh, for all of you, what were some of your key takeaways uh, from the 2022 Mississippi legislative session? And I'll let uh, Kyra kick us off with that. Um, I'm happy to do so, Tevin. Thank you for um, having me on today. Um, I think at the beginning of the legislative session, you know, we kind of framed some of the work that One Voice was looking into in terms of how um, during the 2022 legislative session, our state lawmakers could work to help build a better, more equitable future for uh, Mississippi's working families. And so we knew that um, at the beginning of the year, uh, many of our state working families were continue, continuing to grapple with the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic 
and that we knew that lawmakers would have a tough task in terms of responding to the immediate needs of people, as well as um, making decisions that would impact the future well-being of the state's residents. And so we wanted to frame this session as just um, the idea that it was a, really a historic opportunity kind of to, um, to better communities, um, better uh, governance within the state, and to help better opportunities for all the state's residents. There are a lot of issues on the table, which I know that we'll discuss. Some of which we were looking into was, um, of course, Medicaid expansion, um, the elimination of the state individual income tax, uh, the full funding of um, public education here in the state. We were uh, focused on redistricting efforts and the, restora the restoration of voting rights for disenfranchised individuals. Um, we were interested in um, more criminal justice reforms in terms of uh, reducing mass incarceration and disparities within the criminal justice system. Um, we um, wanted to uh, look at how the state might be able to implement a state earned income tax credit and how they might um, be able to allocate uh, American Rescue Funds more equitably. And then, of course, we were interested in supporting our partners on a number of issues such as um, the implementation of a state equal pay law, um, uh, the raising of the minimum wage or the creation of a state minimum wage, uh, raising teacher pay, broadband access, expanding voting rights, and, and more. And so we knew that a lot of these issues were on the table and we were um, you know, interested to see how the uh, state lawmakers would be able to tackle each of those issues and then see what we could do to make sure that at the end of the session, the state's working families were better than they were before. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Representative Summers, uh, what were some of your key takeaways from the, the session? Thank you, Tevin, and thank you to One Voice for inviting me to be a part of this stellar panel. It's good to see my colleague, Representative Anthony, as well as my friend, Kyra. Um, Kyra really laid out all of the issues that we were also concerned in the House. Um, we tackled a lot of those issues. We came in with a laundry list of items that we really needed to address. Um, I think the biggest uh, item was the appropriation of the ARPA funds that we received as a result of uh, President Biden's administration responding to the COVID pandemic. And we did spend $1.5 billion of that. Um, to go towards water and sewer, uh, our state highways, state parks, uh, healthcare needs, tourism, and a lot of different other um, uh, areas, such as community projects. Um, we did get teacher pay done. We got medical marijuana done, redistricting, broadband expansion, uh, a lot of things around education, and even a little bit of criminal justice reform. Um, I was excited that I was able to get uh, at least two suffrage bills through the process, which means that two more uh, voters from Hines County will be able to participate in our democracy. I was a little disappointed that we didn't get done our ballot initiative process um, and the postpartum Medicaid coverage piece, uh, but there's always next session. On a personal note, uh, Two of the biggest takeaways for me, one was that I felt a lot more confident this session and 
you know, this was my third session uh, as a freshman legislator, but I really felt more settled um, coming into session, uh, still working on developing more relationships. Uh, but, you know, when you first come in as a legislator, you, you have a learning curve and uh, you're trying to understand the process. And so I felt like I've uh, at least become a second semester freshman uh, this session. And then the second part of that was the redistricting part. Uh, we uh, passed a congressional map as well as state maps. And on the initial state map, I was drawn out of my district and paired with a veteran representative um, that I did not want to be forced to run against. And I was able to get an amendment passed with the help of uh, many of my colleagues uh, unanimously that put me back into District 68. And so now I have another opportunity to represent the people of District 68 and continue to fight on their behalf. So uh, those were my takeaways for this session. That's awesome. I'm glad we, we can keep you in. Uh, and so we're, we're happy that, that that happened. So Representative Anthony, some well, of your takeaways. Uh, well, again, we want to thank you for having me on. And, and we definitely thank um, One Voice. Uh, Kyle, we thank you so much for helping us because, you know, we don't have legislative aides. Uh, all the research that we do, we have to either do it on our own or rely on advocacy groups to help us. And, and, and you all came through. We had an unprecedented amount of money uh, to spend uh, this session, and that was that was my main concern uh, to ensure uh, that those state agencies that help people who look like us got their fair share, and, and also uh, to help fix some of these this crumbling infrastructure that we have. And I, I just want to remind the people: how do we get this money? And, and we we have to we have to um, lay the foundation. Uh, this came from the Biden administration. And our congressman, Congressman Thompson, was the only one in the uh, Mississippi delegation to vote and support this. So, you know, huge, huge uh, shout out and, and, and thank you. Huge shout out and thank you to our congressman for doing that. And as uh, Representative Summers said, you know, we get we get to Jackson and, and, and some of those who didn't support it you know, they, they want the money to be acting like the money belongs to them. Uh, so uh, we we had some challenging, challenging issues, but I, I think we are better off, uh, especially those here in the, here in the Delta. Uh, we, we were able to get some projects funded. We were able to get much needed water and sewer repair uh, uh, than we've had before. And so the money was was my biggest takeaway. And and we still, as Representative Summer said, we we did leave some money on the table so that we can look at finding some of those those shortfalls in those areas uh, next session. So um, as Dion Sanders said years ago, it must be the money. We, we we focused on the money this year. And so we had plenty of it to go around. Uh, awesome. Uh, thank you all for, for answering that. And so that leads us into our next question, because in every one of your answers, there was a long list of things that you talked about that was accomplished or that uh, maybe you wanted to tackle. But in reading the news or watching TV or just listening to uh, people talk, there were just a few issues that dominated uh, headlines that dominated sort of what people were talking about. Um, and, you know, for example, the income tax. And so you had 
a House plan, you had a Senate plan, you had the governor and the speaker uh, wanting to fully eliminate the income tax and the uh, lieutenant governor who didn't necessarily see it that way. And so that issue kind of dominated the headlines. And I know that's a that's something that you can sell, that you have two uh, individuals going against each other, or three individuals going against each other. But can you talk about how that impacts some of the things that um, that were accomplished or that you would have liked to accomplish? For example, Representative Summers, you talked about, uh, you know, helping uh, two people um, get their their rights back. And so this is stuff that people need to know about and um, more light needs to be shed on because uh, you know, more work on that needs to be done. And so when we have issues that just dominate headlines, um, I feel like it takes away from that. But uh, can you speak to it, Representative Summers, feel free to uh, take the lead on this, sure. how that impacts uh, the work that's being done at the Capitol? Well, not only did the income tax elimination uh, proposal dominate the headlines, but it truly dominated our work at the state capitol. It was uh, the standoff issue between the House and the Senate. And as a result of uh, the leadership not being able to come to a compromise that everyone could agree upon, it uh, held off a lot of the work that we were able to do, particularly around the appropriations process. And so at the end of session, uh, we were rushed to be able to spend um, the ARPA funds as well as to appropriate the funds for our budget. And we had over a $7 billion budget uh, this, this session. And when you're talking about that uh, number, that, that high amount of money is something that does not to, that does not need to be a hurried process, but because of the income tax elimination, we were forced into that position. So, you know, I would have liked to have seen um, Democrats particularly have more input on the way that that process uh, took place uh, so that we could have, um, you know, made sure that there weren't any mistakes made as a result of that. And, and time will tell if that's if that's the case. But certainly when you're able to uh, really research and make sure that all of the agencies receive what they need, that the communities are shored up in a way that will increase the quality of life for the citizens, then you know that you can be more effective in the budgeting process. Um, two other issues that, uh, that were mentioned as part of this question was uh, CRT and equal pay. Uh, CRT was a divisive issue. And um, it was an issue that we would have hoped uh, we didn't have to uh, address. But uh, my, my Kellogg fellow, Dr. Orr, reminded me yesterday that the CRT issue was really akin to the Southern strategy. And it was a tactic uh, provided by the Republican Party uh, to be able to galvanize their base as they prepare for re-election next year. That's all that it was. It was really a political move. And, you know, some may say, well, the bill really doesn't do anything. The legislation, uh, the, the language in the legislation was weak. And, you know, I know that in the policymaking process, you don't just introduce bills and pass bills because they don't do anything. Uh, while the legislation may appear weak, uh, there are uh, some intentional efforts uh, that are put 
as part of that legislation that could have some devastating outcomes, including um, an effort to really defund public education, to put our educators in a, uh, a uncomfortable position around the way that they teach our students, the way that they exercise their free speech rights to talk about history. Um, and so that was um, a dark cloud over uh, over our session this year. But I do believe that the CRT bill perhaps uh, made us stronger and helped us to raise our voices on behalf of the people that we represent. And then in regards to the equal pay bill, and, and we may get into this a little bit more, but I did want to mention that, you know, we had a lot of pushback on the equal pay bill from the advocacy community, rightfully so. Um, and we know, and, and Representative Anthony can attest to this, that no bill is going to be a perfect bill. But I am um, happy that we were able to get something on the books after years of advocacy, after years of Democrats proposing this legislation and it never seeing the light of day. So I know that it um, did not have all the meat on the bones that we would have liked it to have, but we do have an opportunity to come back next session and in future sessions to strengthen it to get those things that the advocacy or uh, community was asking for as part of the equal pay. Uh, but I am happy that we were finally able to get it on the books on behalf of the women in the state. Uh, so those are just a, a few of the major headlines I think that we were able to tackle. And, and there are of course a whole lot more, but uh, those were a few things I wanted to mention. And, and Kyra, from a, a advocacy standpoint, and uh, the work that you do, you know, what are some of the, what, what's the impact that, a couple of uh, issues have on, you know, the long list that, you know, organization, like one voice that we have, you know, what is issues like income tax and CRT that dominate the majority of the time? What's the impact that that has on the work that you do? Yeah, you know, from our end, the income tax work was really just kind of the the thing this this legislative session which we you know we we knew that we did work um tabbing um, around the income tax elimination bills during the last legislative session we did work um to prepare for the uh, tax study hearings this summer and so we knew again that income tax elimination would be um kind of a big part of this session i think um Again, the, the way that it did dominate the legislative session um, with so many different bills. I think we saw a total of seven different bills this session. We had um, the House bill. Um, we had the Senate bill. We had amendments to both of those bills. We had uh, the governor's input kind of later in the session around what he wanted to see in terms of income tax elimination. And then we saw the compromise that was... Um, ultimately had between the House on and the Senate around um, a, a very significant tax cut. So we didn't see the full elimination of the income tax, but we saw a significant reduction um, in that tax. And we knew ahead of time the harmful impact that cutting state revenue would have on a state like Mississippi. When we talked about all of the priorities that we wanted to see, we know that uh, those things cost money. And we know that, again, the tax system is meant to raise uh, revenue and that that revenue helps fund the services and programs that we all want to need. And so um, uh, coupled with the um, budget surplus or revenue surplus that we saw coming into the session, it was always our opinion 
that um, eliminating the income tax or spending some of that surplus um, on a, a tax cut, a very permanent tax cut, when we knew that a lot of the surplus uh, revolved around uh, these uh, two federal stimulus, uh, pandemic stimulus bills, that spending that revenue on a tax cut would be harmful for the state, especially with all the priorities that we wanted to see. And so ultimately, uh, what was reached was seen as a compromise between the House and the Senate, or well, really a compromise between state lawmakers who wanted to fully eliminate the state individual income tax and those who uh, wanted to take what was called a more cautious approach to uh, cutting uh, that tax. And and what happened is that ultimately Mississippi will end up with a 4% flat tax on incomes over $100,000. And this will happen in 2026. Um, the impact of the bill um, will will benefit the state's wealthiest individuals. And so we know that um, almost $7,000 in uh, tax reductions will uh, benefit the state's top 1% of individual income earners, whereas the lowest income earners in the state will only see about a $14 reduction in the amount of taxes paid. So we know that the result of this bill will increase inequities in the state, where again, our priorities were for uh, state lawmakers to make decisions that would reduce inequities in the state. And we know that um, less than uh, 20% of all the tax cut will go towards families making less than $50,000 a year. And again, when we talk about reducing inequities and making communities better, Mississippians better than they were before, that this uh, went against our priorities. Another um, big issue around um, why this, this tax cut issue was harmful for this legislative session was the fact that it reduces state revenue by approximately $535 million um, annually. And this is, you know, again, a permanent tax cut. So when we talk about all the different priorities that we like to see, we just thought that there would have been better ways for the state to spend this money. Um, and that this was really a missed opportunity for the state to put more resources into the hands of communities, into the hands of families. And um, what we saw overall, and Representative Summer spoke to that, was a lot of other big important issues kind of taking up as a result of, of what that bill does. And so we saw some postpartum uh, Medicaid expansion um, bills not um, get addressed or to die out. We saw how the um, American Rescue Plan dollars were held up to where those decisions were made very late in the session, to where the budget bills were made very late in the session. And even at one point, kind of the teacher pay raise bills that many of us um, saw as a win during this legislative session, we were also worried about that because, you know, our question is, how can the state afford to um, cut revenue that drastically and raise teacher pay or do some of these other things that we would like to see done. And so um, overall, we were definitely disappointed in the uh, amount of things that didn't get done, especially as a result of the income tax and especially what the result of the bill would do. Um, so we know that there's a lot of work uh, to do moving forward in terms of um, continuing to advocate for our priorities and for working families in the state. Uh, thank you for that, Kyra. And Representative Anthony, do you have anything to add to uh, how you felt like uh, certain issues dominated and impacted the work that 
was done in the session. Well, it was definitely a nail biter um, toward the end uh, to have many of our um, items that we cared about being held hostage over uh, this tax cut uh, incentive uh, that only benefited um, a small population of, of, um, of, you know, overall in the state. And so what we did see, and I think our, our teachers deserved uh, this raise that they received, as well as the assistant teachers, um, we did get that uh, ball across the finish line. And we are just grateful uh, for their service. And I think now um, this shows that we do appreciate their efforts. Because I think uh, what we failed to realize, none of us would be in the positions that we're in if it were not for those who paved the way for us, who taught us, those who who labored with us to, to get us where we are. And so um, I, I was grateful to see that happen. Uh, one of the things that we are concerned about, and I think uh, Representative Summers can definitely speak to this um, with her background uh, in our election process, uh, restoring the initiative process. We, we did not do that. Uh, we, we failed to agree on the process. The House had a... a um, a, a proposal. The Senate had a proposal. The Senate's proposal was much had a higher threshold that we had to to uh, uh, get over, and so um, it left that on the table. And I think that is uh, is detrimental to the to the to the voice of the people. You know, when we when we handcuff uh, this process and we don't allow the voters to speak, uh, it it gives us. It, it gives, it just doesn't look good. I mean, it it does not give the voters their, their due process. And so that was one of the things I wanted to see us, us look at restoring that uh, initiative process. And so hopefully we can get that done uh, this year, if we can come to some kind of agreement uh, this, this, this coming session. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, Representative Summers, uh, Representative Anthony uh, spoke a little bit in, about the ballot initiative process uh, and that not being able to to get done as far as fixing it. Uh, what do you believe that's going to have the you know, what's the impact of that, even if, you know, it's just for another year that even if that's not fixed, what's the impact on, on Mississippi? Um, yeah, the, the impact of it is that the people the, the electorate of the state of Mississippi do not have an opportunity to raise their voices and make policy change when the state legislature is not responsive to their needs. And we saw this as a result of the medical marijuana uh, lawsuit that struck down the ballot initiative process. And while that was happening, we had several ballot referendums um, already in play, including early voting, including uh, raising the minimum wage. And so now all of those items that are not necessarily uh, priorities on the agenda of those that are in leadership power uh, get put on, you know, on the bandwagon. Um, and they're left there until um, we can get that initiative process in place or the legislature decides to make a move on it. Um, what Representative Anthony mentioned was uh, was uh, around the the threshold of the number of signatures. So specifically, the Senate wanted 
uh, to have 12 percent of the registered voters on the day of the last presidential election, which amounted to about 240,000 signatures. And the House wanted 12 percent of those who voted in the last statewide election, which is about 100,000 signatures. And anyone that has worked on a ballot initiative knows how difficult it is to collect signatures, an equal amount of signatures from the uh, districts from across the state because we're a very rural state. And so going out, finding those voters, educating them around the issue that you are fighting for and then getting them to submit uh, their signature, it's a very cumbersome process. And so what we need is a process that makes it easy for people to be able to exercise their right to vote. But in addition to that, we need a process that allows the people to do what they used to do before the process was struck down, which was to make constitutional amendments. The proposal that was uh, on deck for this session was only to make statutory changes. And I think that that's great, but also we know that Mississippi is still operating from the 1890 Constitution. And there are many uh, pieces in that Constitution that continue to disenfranchise about 40% of Mississippi's population. And so the people should be able to uh, be able to take action on that as well. So, you know, I, I hope my hope is that when we come back next next session, we can address this. Uh, and make it sound and make it whole for all of the people in the state of Mississippi. Thank you for that. And Kyra, do you have anything to add? Uh, you know, what do you, how do you feel that having a valid initiative process um, that's not workable right now, uh, how, what's the impact that that has on the, on the state? Yeah, you know, Tevin, from like an advocacy standpoint, we always try to focus on the will or the wants or needs of the people. And um, we see that uh, for the state not having a ballot initiative, um, uh, it, it eliminates the opportunity for the people's voices to be heard on certain issues. So, for example, I think the day before the ballot initiative process was struck down in courts, um, uh, Mississippi group of advocates and um, uh, others, uh, business community and, and others in the healthcare field um, launched a coalition to expand uh, Medicaid. So um, we had launched kind of um, or began the process of a ballot initiative for that particular issue. And we know that this is an issue that um, some state lawmakers are not necessarily in favor of but that uh, overwhelming majority of Mississippi residents, regardless of political party, um, care about and that it impacts them and affects them. And so this would have been an opportunity for people to, people to make their voices heard on that important topic. And when you um, do away with that process, you know, it really calls into question what other issues are people's voices being left out of if um, the legislature uh, fails to address something that's important to people? Um, what other avenues are there for people to kind of make their voices heard um, outside of the legislative process? And so I think for us, it, it does become more of um, of uh, an issue about making sure that people's voices are heard and that um, 
that the the process to make laws and the, and the process to implement policies is is an open process and it's one in which everyone can participate. Excellent answer. Uh, and uh, and I, every one of you have mentioned this, uh, but Mississippi has or had, um, depending on how you look at it, a historic opportunity. Uh, to invest in communities across the state uh, with federal relief funds. And so that's the American Rescue Plan, ARPA, which stands for American Rescue Plan Act, in case you hear that. Uh, and so can you talk about the work that went into fighting it out the best way to use those funds? And Representative Summers, you've already described kind of the battle that went into it late in the session. Um, each one of you have talked about it. so. You know, can you know each one of you and Representative Anthony, you can lead us off. Talk about the importance of the ARPA funds, and you know what you know what happened during the session, and what's still to come um, with um, dividing these or releasing these funds to, to the community across the state. Well, as we know, nothing happens without um, money attached to it. There are no bills that we that file that we file that we file or passed, and there's there's not some sort of physical note uh attached to it we need um we need money to operate and one of the things that i've seen since i've been there um and we are still fairly new is is the not being able not investing the amount of money that they need to invest in our transportation it begins and ends with transportation. It begins and ends with infrastructure. Uh, if we take a look at uh, the Mississippi Delta, west of I-55, since 1987, that four-lane uh, funding project, the state has only appropriated about uh, $600 million investing in our roads and bridges west of I-55. If you look at the same time frame and you look at the amount of money spent east of I-55, we're talking about right at $3 billion. And so many people say, well, you don't have the population here in the Delta. Well, we do have the population, but people are moving to other parts of the state so they can have uh, a meaningful uh, job, a meaningful way to make money. They have children. They want to put their children in in uh, uh, good schools where they have uh, programs and after school uh, and community uh, based projects and community community based. They, they have they can have a quality of life outside of their normal day to day. And so the Delta has been left out. And my concern has always been and our Delta delegation up here, um, we need to invest more into our transportation. We need to invest more into our roads and bridges. The same bus that 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 goes across the bridges up here in the Delta, the same bus goes across the bridges in Clinton or in Madison. They carry the same amount of children. And so what we wanted to see was, and we, we have made some progress over these last four sessions that I've been there, um, we need to have more money in, into our uh, uh, placed into our 
uh, infrastructure projects. And so we were able to do that. We were able to get some of those things done this year. But it is important that we invest not in just certain parts of the state. Because if you carve the Delta out of Mississippi, there would be no state of Mississippi. And, and so I'm not advocating just for the Delta. I'm advocating for the whole state. But I think we are left out and 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 we need to ensure uh, that we uh, allocate some more money for our transportation program. If we don't have access for small businesses to get their products out, if they are not able to connect uh, through broadband access, uh, then we will not see the economic growth in other parts of the state that we should also be seeing here. And so that's has, that has been my rallying call. That has been my cry. Uh, those who serve with me up here, we want to make sure that our voices are heard and that we, we get uh, the same attention that other parts of the state are getting. And so a lot of that has to do with, with leadership positions. You know, we had Charlie Capps back in the day to appropriate chairman appropriations, to appropriate some money to build these uh, roads and bridges that we have now. And so we still got a lot of work to do. Not only here, uh, Representative Summers has with there in, in Hines County, we have issues. You, you all have issues as well. So we want to make sure that the money that the federal government sent was used not just in certain parts of the state, but throughout um, the entire state. Thank you for that. Uh, and uh, Representative Summers, you know, can you talk a little bit more about the, the work that went into the ARPA funds and the work that still needs to be done to ensure that those monies yeah. are? So, you know, as, as Representative Anthony and Kyra have highlighted, you know, we would have hoped that the ARPA funds would have been spent more equitably uh, across the state. Because we know that many of our communities, particularly uh, our minority communities, our low income communities, they have the greatest need. And uh, one of the things that the lieutenant governor really uh, cheerleaded uh, in regards to the ARPA funds was, you know, we need to spend money that's going to impact generation. He wanted to make generational change. Uh, and that means transformative change. And so, you know, two things that I would have liked to have seen. Um, with the ARPA funds. One is that the city of Jackson uh, here in Hines County would have received uh, a significant amount of the ARPA funds to be able to uh, improve our water sewer infrastructure. We all experienced the water crisis uh, last year, and we know that um, our infrastructure is in dire need of a lot of resources and um, you know significant repair um, what we did see and and i'm and i'm okay with it because i think it's it's definitely going to help the state of mississippi for sure is 700 million dollars of that money that was put into the water sewer grant program that will be administered by the department of environmental quality and what that means is that cities and counties all across the state will be able to apply for that funding uh, but as representative anthony said you know similar to the infrastructure issue up in the delta we know that there are communities that have specific needs uh, that are greater than some of the other areas in the state so i would have liked to see more in that vein the second thing is more uh 
funding that would have gone to uh, local projects in our communities. We saw some areas in the state that got um, tons of money. I mean, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, and they've been able to reap those benefits over a number of years. And we saw other communities uh, that did that did not get um, anything um, or may have gotten very little. And I think this was an opportunity because we've gotten uh, more money in Mississippi than we've ever seen, again, as a result of Democrats uh, responding to the pandemic on the federal uh, congressional level, uh, that this would have been the year to do uh, what we needed to do to shore up those cities and communities. Uh, we do have $300 million available for us to come back next session and perhaps shore up those cities and communities next year. And I hope that, you know, as we matriculate along this year, and we find those gaps that we will do that next year. Um, and hopefully we won't um, have to uh, hurry again, hurry the budget process as as a result of some of the things that um, you know our our friends on the other side of the aisle wanted to do. Um, and then you know the last thing that I'll say is that this this session was really um, uh, a legacy session for uh, people in leadership. Uh, they really wanted to make sure that they checked some boxes that would help. Uh, propel them as they prepare to run for re-election next year. And we saw a lot of those items, um, you know, being accomplished. Um, but here again, you know, this is not just a, uh, a, a, a one-size-fits-all situation for the state of Mississippi. We have to find ways to collaborate and make sure that we're doing the best that we can do uh, on behalf of those who need it most in the state of Mississippi. Thank you, Representative Summers. And Kyra, from your standpoint, I know that you put in a lot of work and will continue to put in a lot of work in um, talking about uh, the American Rescue Plan and the funds and, and even to local communities. And so uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the work that went in that you saw from the session and, and the work that still needs to be done to make sure that these, these funds are used appropriately? And like Representative Summers and Representative Anthony said that, you know, to address some of the disparities across the state of Mississippi. Yeah, thank you, uh, Tevin. So before the legislative session started, 42 states had already begun allocating American Rescue Plan funds. And so um, from the beginning, we felt that Mississippi was a little bit behind in responding to the needs of the people because we knew that people and uh, families throughout the state were still grappling with the impact, both the health and economic impacts of uh, COVID-19, the pandemic. And so um, I think on one hand, oh, we would have liked to see um, action a little bit quicker, but we appreciate um, the Senate and the time that it was taking to um, that went into the, uh, the studies uh, this summer. Um, in terms of looking to see how states were spending uh, spending the money and the ultimate outcome of the bills during this legislative session, um, we were tracking and monitoring to see how they stood up to what was going on around the country. And what we saw in Mississippi, um, Mississippi spent a lot of ARPA dollars on infrastructure projects. And that includes uh, water infrastructure and other um, infrastructure projects. 
And um, I think the next big chunk was to help replace lost revenue from the pandemic. And so some of that is fairly consistent with what we've seen in other states. Of course, um, there are um, some good ways or some good places that the money is going to. So there, there is money going to economic development, tourism, mental health services, um, death benefits for law enforcement and firefighters. And so we've we've seen um, throughout the session where ultimately the, the bulk of this money would go to, again, without uh, sounding too critical, we would have liked to see more of the money being um invested in people, um, invested in more equitable policies that can help move Mississippi forward, and um, more investments in services um, that people want to need. And Representative Summers and Representative Anthony have talked about some of those other options that could have been on the table, and that may still be on the table with the remaining $300 million. But um, we knew that the federal guidance really encouraged states and local communities to use ARPA dollars to address disparities in health and economic outcomes that were faced by low-income communities, communities of color, and tribal communities as a result of the pandemic. And I would argue that um, the allocations that we saw in Mississippi don't go far enough in doing that, um, especially in a state like Mississippi where some of the disparities are already so wide. The other thing that we would have liked to see in terms of um, the allocations across the state was more community engagement. And so uh, the Treasury guidance, federal guidance also encouraged states and local governments to use individuals impacted most by the pandemic and use their stories and their experiences to help um, in the decision making process as to where these one time funds could be used so that there could be those long term investments that some of our uh, lawmakers were interested in seeing. And so we didn't see enough of that. We didn't see enough community engagement um, throughout the, the legislative session prior to with, I think, actual individuals and community members. And we think that there's still room for uh, local government and local elected officials to do particularly that is to, to get on the ground, get on the ground and talk to some of the people and see what their needs are. Um, we, One Voice um, partnered recently with the Mississippi State Conference NAACP and the Southern Economic Investment Project um, on a toolkit. And in that toolkit, um, we reported some of the data that the Southern Economic Investment Project was able to um, put together after they surveyed Mississippians about where they would like to see some of the opera dollars spent. And from that survey, Mississippians wanted help with utilities. They wanted help with housing assistance. Um, they, they wanted uh, more attention being paid to workforce development. And so, and I think still there's a disconnect between what people's needs are and sometimes of where um, some of the, the state level allocations are made. And so, Tevin, when you ask about kind of next steps and, and what we see um, in the bigger picture, we know from experience that sometimes when we get Mississippi gets these federal dollars, we saw this after Hurricane Katrina. We saw this more recently with the housing money that was um, poured into the state again as a result of, of pandemic relief that sometimes on the state level, these funds aren't um, 
administered in a way that kind of gets to the people and that meets the needs of the people. And so we'll be interested in, in following how that goes after these um, appropriations have been made and these bills have been passed. Um, how how are these different agencies actually administering the program to make sure that the money gets to those who really need it and it gets to communities that really need it? And that's something, again, that we'll be focusing on and as well as um, helping local communities make decisions um, that benefit them and that help support um, their needs and, and being able to make equitable spending decisions um, for this pandemic relief money. All right, thank you for that, Kyra. And um, so, and we're coming in closer to time, so we don't want to hold everyone, especially uh, it's a holiday, um, and so we want everyone to you know enjoy their holiday. And but our public servants they still have work to do. So Kyra, we want you to enjoy your holiday. Uh, but uh, Representative Summers, I think you you said it best that uh, this seemed like a legacy session. Um, I think you know each session I think is uh, pretty uh, high stakes. And um, I think, you know, from I'm sure from our uh, representative standpoints, they understand that people always come with a long list of things that they want to see and do. But I think this session, you know, had a lot of decisions that were made that impact the daily lives of people. And I know, Kyra, with the income tax, that, that's going to impact the daily lives of people because that impacts the services that we rely on. And so, you know, my, my question is, you know, what are ways that people can be involved? Because I think, uh, you know, with those decisions made, people are starting to see that. I mean, I think people are seeing everyday decisions is made and gas prices are going up. Uh, you know, the cost of the grocery bills is going up. And so, uh, Representative Anderson, you know, from your perspective, with these decisions made and the impact that it's having on uh, Mississippians, you know, what are some ways that uh, we as citizens can be more engaged and more involved in, in, in having our voices heard to impact those decisions made in the, uh, in the legislature. Yeah, well, I think one of the, the main things we can do is uh, don't just become active, but become engaged. You have to know who your representative is. You have to know who your senator is. You have to know your uh, local, state, and federal uh, officials. We have to ask questions. You have to hold these people accountable who uh, you voted for, those people who represent you. And uh, you have to be heard. But you also have a personal responsibility to be engaged. You, you have to, you have to um, get involved, whether it's on a local level, whether you are attending your local city council meetings or board meetings, um, you, uh, whether it's coming, showing up, at the Capitol, whether it's calling, when these advocacy groups sent out these, these mass messages for you to call uh, your uh, representative or your senator or the governor or whomever it is, a speaker or lieutenant governor, do that. Uh, when the people show up, those who you elect, uh, they react, they move. And so a lot of times things are done as with conference, uh, during conference season, a lot of things are done behind closed doors where we, even as us as elected officials, are not privy to. 
But what moves the hand of an elected official is when the people's voice rises, when, when you all show up, when you all ask, when you become engaged, when you hold us accountable, um, that's when you'll start to hear and see uh, your needs being met. But if that is not done, then unfortunately there are times when the, 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 the squeaky uh, uh, wheel uh, gets the oil. And so we, we have to make sure our voice is heard and we have to make sure that we're engaged, that we're involved, that we're asking the right questions. That, that And if you, even if you don't know which question to ask, show up, ask something. So I think that's the most important thing that, that as, as a grassroots, everyday citizen of this state, you got you to gotta, you gotta be engaged and you have to be involved. And Kyra, uh, what are some ways um, that people can be more more involved and engaged to help impact those decisions that are going to impact their lives on a daily basis? Well, I think, you know, we try to make it as easy uh, for people as possible to be engaged with our work and our, our, our priorities um, at One Voice. And, and we do our um, best or our goal is always to make sure that those priorities um, are directly aligned with what people want and what people need. And so uh, one of the things that you can do is to make your voices heard. You could attend, for example, our civic engagement roundtable meetings to discuss what's going on in your community, to get support with some of the changes that you would like to um, see in your community. You can, of course, um, sign up for our newsletter, um, follow us on social media, um, all of that um, is done with the intention to make sure that uh, community members are educated about some of the policies that um, would have the most impact on them. And then um, to make sure that we hear from community members about what impacts them and make sure that we um, do what we need to do to support community members on uh, various topics um, that go, you know, as far as voting rights, redistricting to education uh, reforms, the criminal justice reforms and, and um, uh, policies related to the state's tax and budget systems. And so there are so many ways to get involved, to get engaged. You can also make sure that you do all of those things as well with some of our partners. And we've, we've seen the impact of it even during this legislative session at the beginning of the session as some of the CRT bills um, were, were or being talked about, and we saw some of the changes um, that uh, the Mississippi Department of Education was wanting to make to the state social studies curriculum. And we saw mobilization from community members um, to talk about what that would mean for them and the impact that it would mean for them. And we were able to make a, a favorable impact um, on the outcome of, of those changes. And we were able to hold off on some of that. We were able to see even through some of the equal pay work, how women were at the forefront of that work and, and to see how that moved um, from this past legislative session to this summer to this legislative session. We saw even with the teacher pay raise bills to um, hear um, the voices of teachers and the voices of educators be at the forefront of that work and helping to move um, that policy forward. And so there is really a direct impact and um, engagement and advocacy and policy change. And we wanna encourage all community members throughout the state of Mississippi to, to do that on whatever issue 
um, they feel compelled to do so. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, Representative Summers, you know, what, in, in your opinion, do people can people do to uh, stay better engaged or involved in um, the work that you're doing and, um, you know, impacted the big decisions that are being made that that are absolutely going to have an impact on their daily lives. So, you know, in your opinion, you know, what what can you tell people to to do or, you know, some some, some tips? and encouragement that you can give to help people stay better engaged and involved. Absolutely. And I, I hope I'm not being repetitive. I was having some technical issues. So I hope I'm not saying what has already been mentioned. But of course, anyone that wants to get engaged with me, I, you know, pride myself as being on the ground and easily accessible. You can reach me on all social media platforms. Uh, I live in West Jackson. I'm, you know, constantly out in the community working with churches and other organizations uh, to do different programs and offer services to the community. So please don't hesitate to contact me if there's anything that I can do for you. Uh, but the biggest tip that I would give voters is to know who represents you. Uh, you would be surprised at uh, the number of folks in the state of Mississippi, Mississippi that don't know who their state representatives and who their state senators are. You need to know the people that represent you at the state capitol because these positions are not about us. They are about you. We hold the position to represent our respective districts in the best way that we can. Uh, since we are out of session, we had signy die about two Tuesdays ago, I believe. So we're out of session and we go back into session in January. But while we're out of session, this is the prime time for constituents to get in touch with us, uh, get in touch with your senators, invite them to your communities, you know, for a cup of coffee, a meeting, a Zoom call, uh, whatever is most convenient for you. And tell them, you know, what, tell us what you think um, are, you know, that we're doing, how well we're doing, uh, some areas of improvement, and then those areas that you really want us to focus our attention on. Because those conversations help to inform the work that we do when we do, when we do go back into session. And so it's very hard to catch us during session because um, our time is very limited. The process is very fast and we have a lot on our plates. But while we're out of session, we have time to really, you know, listen to you, to do the research, to make sure that we're crafting uh, pieces of legislation that are going to be most effective and have the outcomes that we're looking for. So I would certainly say get to know who your folks are. You can do that, of course, by, you know, Googling. You can go on the legislature's website and find out who represents you or you can get in touch with organizations like One Voice and many others that will help put, help put you in direct contact with your state reps and your uh, state senators. Uh, thank you for that. All helpful tips. All I hope that everyone takes those and continue to do them. I know Representative Anthony and Summers, that means that you're going to receive more phone calls. Uh, they'll make you a little more busy. But that's that's good. And so hopefully that people will feel empowered and encouraged to to reach out to to help make Mississippi a better place. And so uh, with that, uh, we've reached our time. And so I want to thank each of you for uh, coming on this morning and uh, speaking with us. Kyra, I want to thank you for uh, providing your insight um, and and how we can can make Mississippi a better place. So I want to thank you for doing that. 
Um, and so uh, with that, uh, thank you all for listening, um, for joining in for another episode of Mississippi Speaks. And we look forward to um, hosting the next one. Uh, have a good day, everybody. Thank you. Be safe. Thank you so thank much. You.